couple weeks ago, Mike and I were watching the television in the Food Network, and, and you know, God can speak through the Food Network, and, which is amazing to me. This is the Food Network. And so flipping channels and um, those fancy cake competition was going on. Where, you know, they're building those elaborate cakes, and they got the teens and the judges. And uh, I thought, I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to watch this. And then, but they said, but the theme this time is they're going to build a bridge. And, you know, I just had to watch it. So they're going to build a bridge. I'm like, well, I want to see that. Because usually they build those elaborate cakes and they're like animation or something. And so they can use really big material. But the intricacy of a bridge with food, I'm like, how are we going to do that? And so, and they had to all use um, like uh, breakfast cereal like Rice Krispies or whatever. And so I'm like, oh, this is, this is a, got a, a must-see. Um, so they each replicated a real-life bridge, different bridges from around the world. There was four teams. And um, they had tried this competition before, but they all failed miserably. And so they had to start all over. This was the second go-around for these teams in this competition because there was no winner. And uh, they had seven hours to do this, this cake. And... Uh, each team had one chef and one assistant, and two of the chefs were experienced, and two were, uh, one was kind of new to the competition, and the other one was a rookie, and I thought, oh, this will be good, and so the two experienced chefs were easily aggravated with, um, they were easily aggravated with their assistants, and they were short with them, and this one team, these two women, they bickered the whole time. And uh, she had this really unusual perspective of how to do her bridge um, as you were crossing it, as opposed to looking at the bridge, which I thought was really unique. And so um, then they would cut away and they would interview the chef about their experience. And when they interviewed her, she complained at every interview and berated her assistant on every interview. I thought, that is so sad. And then the other experienced chef... He complained somewhat about his assistant, but he was pressing through, and they all were having problems. One, the machine broke that they used, like a professional type of fancy machine to cut, so then that means they had to do it by hand, which is like cutting these arches, uh, very detailed. And so they all had problems, and but they were, you know, trying to deal with it. But the two teams that were experienced, you know, they had their problems, and they seemed like um, they were just more challenged, and then... The other ones that were inexperienced, well, they had their problems, but they worked as a team, and they, they kept, you know, pressing through. And uh, it was, you know, really a, an interesting um, show to, to watch. And the one who ended up winning was the rookie. I was like, yay for rookies! I'm like, oh, good God, I'm a rookie, too! And some of these guys can use anybody. And uh, so the, uh, the, the rookie built... A simpler bridge. The other one were going for really detailed, elaborate, fancy bridges. And I thought, how are they going to do that? Well, they did pull it off. You know, but the other one, they did a simpler bridge from France, which is really medieval looking. And though, even though it was simpler and less difficult to, level to do, they were able to get it done earlier and give attention to details where the other ones were down to the wire with all their complaining. And the one lady's assistant said, I think we would have made more progress if we would just stop with all the bickering. So what I learned from this is that you cannot successfully build a bridge, no matter how unique or wonderful your vision is, if you're going to argue amongst yourself, or if you're going to berate your team players. You're not going to get very far. And uh, so 
And all visionaries, no matter how wonderful your vision is, you have to admit you need assistance. You need assistance because without the assistance, none of those chefs would have made any progress with their, with their project. So visionaries need assistance um, who will support the vision without going off in their own direction. And at the same time, um, the visionaries um, you know, have to not be full of pride and recognize their need. And so sometimes the simplest bridges that we have to build with people are going to be the, the, the simplest ones to take the step um, before you, and easiest to build. And, you know, victory can come to anyone, and God can use anyone. And a bridge is a worthy endeavor because it helps to bring um, together two elements that would otherwise not happen. Uh, it's not easy to build a bridge. Um, ask engineers, and, and, and the one chef even admitted, I'm no engineer. I bet engineers would laugh watching the show because they could see, well, it's a lot more difficult to build a model than you think it is. Um, it's not child's play. But with perseverance and God's grace, it can happen. So what I want to show you was uh, back in the summer, long before this Food Network thing, I was researching something, and I saw this bridge, and I was reading about the history, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. So when I saw the bridge that won the competition, I said, that's my bridge. And so this bridge is actually in, um, it's in Berlin, Germany. And it goes over the river Spree. But she built a bridge like this with the arches and the towers without the spire at the top. And I was like, see, God speaks through the Food Network. And, uh, and this, this bridge was built back in the 1700s. And uh, so I'll tell you about the history about this bridge. It's really cool. you got the train on the top, and then the cars are uh, below underneath the arches. And so um, that was really uh, encouraging. And so you think, okay, well, that's nice, Laura. What does that have to do with us? Well, we live in Hampton Roads, and uh, we have water everywhere, and we're crossing bridges constantly. And, uh, you know, there are, did you know there are like 1,500 bridges in Hampton Roads? That's a lot of bridges. I don't know too many places you can live where there's 1,500 bridges from. I'm sure from even the little ones that cross over a drainage easement or a little creek that you, you don't even know you're going over something because you drive it every day. To like the intercoastal waterways, rivers, um, bay, inlet. And we take these bridges for granted because we didn't build them. They've been there for a long time. And... I'm really thankful for the foresight and the insight, the initiative that somebody somewhere in history whose name is long forgotten um, took to build that bridge. Someone says, we need one here, and they built it. And, and they're very important. They're very vital for us. Um, they connect lands together. They connect communities together that otherwise wouldn't uh, be able to be reached or hard-to-reach isolated areas um, that um, need to be linked, and they need to build a bridge. And, you know, look at the Outer Banks. It's impossible to reach it without the bridges that they have there. And then after a bridge is built, then it's, they're never the same, right? They're forever linked, and you have access, you have family, you have connections, you have jobs. It's never going to be the same after that bridge is built. Uh, but before it is, it took some consensus and time for people on both sides to come to an agreement um, for that to happen, you know, well, you know, what kind of bridge, how big, how much is it going to cost, and what benefit would it be? So can you imagine what, how life would be different if 
um, all the bridges were suddenly gone in Hampton Roads. It would be complete chaos. If you think it's chaos because there's a backup at the tunnel bridge, think about no bridges. Some people wouldn't even make it out of their neighborhoods because they have to cross the bridge just to get out of their neighborhood. So it shows you how important it is. And so I'm sure when they decide to build a bridge, they have to think about the structure support, the kind of terrain, the amount of traffic they're going to have to support. Um, you wouldn't suddenly build a Golden Gate Bridge to go over a 15-foot waterway, would you? You know, and vice versa, you wouldn't put in a little two-lane bridge to go over the Chesapeake Bay. You have to do what is appropriate. And I think about the Great Bridge Drawbridge, because when we first moved here, it was just a little two-lane road, the real small drawbridge. And for many years, that sufficed until they had the population explosion that they had um, um, through the 80s and 90s. And just out of sheer necessity, they had to build the bridge that they have today for the volume of traffic and the boat traffic to do what they did today. You know, now I'm I sh I'm sure that 25 years ago, if you'd approach the Great Bridge community and say, "We want to build this big, massive drawbridge that they had today," they would both run scared and go, "I don't think so. No way." You know, you don't come with a proposal to someone and overwhelm them with something. You know, you have to start out small, just like so. Whoever built that bridge, the one before, it served the purpose until you get linked together and you realize we really need to have this access to, for both sides of the water. And you have to develop trust. Um, and so you don't want to overwhelm people. So just like in the community, you have to start small on building your bridges with people. And then you realize how dependent you are. Look at the 64 Tunnel Bridge. We're forever linked. It brings outsiders into our community. You have the military on both sides. Um, you have people who commute and live and have family. We need that tunnel bridge. It's absolutely crucial. Um, so when, when you want to, to do something like this, sometimes... It just starts with something small that you do together with people to build that relationship. And it might be just a cookout, a, a prayer group, um, a project, a paint project, a spaghetti dinner. I mean, it just could be something small that you start with to build those links with people, to develop the relationships, to build up to where you need to go. You have to do those other things. Um, so you don't want to overwhelm people. Um, for some communities, they've already been doing things like this for some time, and they've put up with a little two-lane bridge long enough. It's time to catch, like, a bigger vision for, um, for bigger bridges to advance the kingdom of God. And, you know, after all, bridges do get you to where you're going a lot faster than going the long way around. So I think that in Hampton Roads, I think it's time that, we start to build new and better bridges. And we've settled kind of long enough for our isolated kingdoms. And there are a lot of visions in Hampton Roads and a lot of ministries and a lot of churches like ours. But to, to get where we need to go, we can't just stay isolated. We have to start linking together and to, for, for this where God is taking us. We have to kind of lay down our small town mindsets. You know, like Chesapeake has gone through a lot of growing pains. And for the longest time, they kept 
acting on a government level like a small town. But they were no longer a small town. So when they finally started embracing that they're no longer a small little Chesapeake anymore in the country, then they had to start making bigger plans and doing planned communities. And so that's what we have to do. We have to embrace um, change. That's a win-win situation. It has to be win-win for both sides of the camp, you know, for it to, for it to happen. Now, when I thought about bridges for some time, I thought, okay, this is where you jump into. Okay, by building bridges. And I had these other messages that will come after this that I realized that something else had to come before that, but I didn't quite know what that was. Is that we've had a lot of good visions out there, but we face giant obstacles that are ignored or underestimated. So, and that is that there are lots of walls that have been erected for a long time between Christians that have to be torn down before we can move forward in a vision. No matter how wonderful your vision is, if there's a wall there, you're not going to get very far. And so I wanted to take you back in history um, and give you a little history lesson to a very historical time, um, to a very famous speech, and how it parallels with where we are as the church, because there are timeless truths that are in it. So this is not your typical exegetical sermon here, uh, but I think that if it's the Lord who puts kings on the thrones and takes kings off the thrones, and he can use anyone, you know, even if it's a speech that might be deemed political, that, um, and truths are eternal, right? So a truth is a truth no matter where the where the source is. We know the source is God no matter who he brings it through. And God is a part of our history as much as he is a part of biblical history. And so you can lift spiritual truths even out of our history if they align with the word of God. And so on June 12, 1987, President Ronald Reagan was standing before this famous, beautiful Brandenburg Gate. I love architecture. And so this is a very glorious gate in, in, was in Berlin, Germany. And um, on its, it, you got the east and west side of it back at that time. And so President Reagan, as well as other presidents, um, have stood in front of this gate and gave speeches. And so it's not the first time that an American president was there. And it wasn't President Reagan's first time either. And so this gate was a very important symbol in history. And he said that his visit to Berlin was because, referring to the American presidents, it's our duty to speak in this place of freedom. He said, there's only one Berlin. Now, Reagan was pretty bold. He said, there's only one Berlin, when in fact, this in Germany, was divided east and west, east being communistic, and the west was free. And in 1961, the uh, communist uh, Soviets, they, they started erecting the Berlin, Mall, uh, Berlin Wall. And it was 100 miles of wall that encircled the city. And it had barbed wires and watchtowers um, on top to keep the German people from fleeing the communist side over to the free side. And so according to Reagan's quote, and I'm going to quote him a lot, uh, a wall that encircles the free sectors of the city, part of a vast system of barriers that divides the entire continent of Europe. 
visible barriers from the Baltic south, but further south, no visible, no obvious wall, but the presence of armed guards and checkpoints still spoke of restrictions to freedom. It was most evident in this famous city, the huge division, because it cut through an entire set city separating Germans and fellow Berliners from one another. And the gate was also closed. So even though he was standing in front of the gate, it was not open freely for traffic or people to pass from east to west. So when he referred to the gate, he said it's the question of freedom for all mankind. <clears throat> so see, after World War II, all the devastation that happened in Europe demolished all the major cities. And it happened to Berlin as well. And America came over and gave help for an economic recovery plan called the Marshall Plan. And so um, he said, referring to the policy in the speech, our policy is directed not against any country or doctrine, but against hunger, poverty, desperation, and chaos. So he made a remark about the amazing, miraculous recovery that many of these cities and, um, and countries um, had recovered at this time of his speech um, that they came back from ashes to great prosperity and how beautiful Berlin was at the time, West Berlin. And he mentioned about the leaders who understood the practical importance of liberty, whether it was for journalism or whether it was for farmers or business people. So <clears throat> he said, regardless of the plans that the Soviets had for you, which was to ruin them, they were prosperous. But when he talked about communism and the detriment, he said, there we see failure, technological backwardness, declining standards of health, and even one of the most basic kind, too little food. No freedom, and then all that happens. This leading to, he says, one great and inescapable conclusion, freedom leads to prosperity. Freedom replaces the ancient hatreds among the nations with comity and peace. Freedom is the victor. I think, wow, that speaks volumes of spiritual truths today. Ancient hatreds between people. He later mentioned that the totalitarian world produces backwardness because it does such violence to the spirit. Thwarting the human impulse to create, to enjoy, to worship. The totalitarian world finds even symbols of love and of worship an affront. Then he mentioned this uh, funny story about this huge TV tower that the Germans, the East Germans, built that dominated the entire Berlin city sky. You could see it. And they said that there was a major flaw at the very top that they kept trying to correct. And no matter what they did with chemicals and paints, they could not fix what they thought was a flaw, that when the sun hit the top of the TV tower, it made the sign of the cross. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> and so when he mentioned about that, he said, there in Berlin, like the city itself, symbols of love, symbols of worship cannot be suppressed. How inspiring story, you know, at that time when Germany was divided. And he said that the, slow, the Soviets were slowly coming around and seeing the benefits of freedom because they were speaking terms of a policy of reform and openness. I don't know about you, but I do remember that in the news all the time with Gorbachev about this policy of openness and reform. And when they started to do some good gestures, 
Reagan asked a question about their motives. He says, are these the beginnings of profound changes in the Soviet state, or are they just token gestures um, intended to raise false hopes or to strengthen the Soviet system? He says, we welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together. The advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. And then he says, there is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. And here is the most famous excerpt from that speech that you may know. And he says, General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Now, he was preparing the speech, and his advisors looked at this and what he was going to say, and they tried to talk him out of it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, I like it. I'm going to keep it in. I'm thankful for the boldness that President Reagan had. Because two years after that speech that he gave, in November of 1989, the East Germans issued a decree to open the wall, allowing people to travel freely from East Berlin into West Berlin. And families separated for decades were able to be reunited. I can't even imagine being separated from my family by a wall that suddenly went up. I can't even imagine. That's better than a homecoming that we see on TV with the military. I would love to have been there to witness the hugs and the tears of people who have been separated because of war. It would be incredible. And so this wall symbolized the end of communism. So by 1990, the wall was completely dismantled. And I believe that the Lord used Reagan to declare a thing as a man of authority, as a king and a ruler of a nation of the free world, to declare a thing that released God's grace to bring an end to that wall of great division and freedom for many, many people and dramatic change in Europe that we've witnessed in history. We've witnessed the maps literally changing before our eyes. It was an incredible time in history. I, was, I remember being very moved by that in the news. And they just celebrated the 20th anniversary of that wall um, coming down in October 3rd, my birthday, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. Now, I had no idea the anniversary was coming up when I was preparing this. So I'm like, cool. I'm like on the same page. So I was excited, you know. And uh, so when we look at that speech, you know, we forget about all the other wonderful things that Reagan said that has spiritual truths in it. And so that parallels to the church today because the overall message of his speech was freedom. And it's what every man and woman longs for. They long for spiritual freedom. They long for physical freedom. They long for economic freedom. Because God cares about the condition of man, not just our spirit. He, can, he cares about the whole thing. And it was for freedom that Christ set us free. So, for the sake of freedom, many people who are still held captive... We need to long for and desire more unity in the body. See, because we can talk about bridges and unity, but what's going to keep us going and persevering is we have to remember that behind the, all of that 
It, it means freedom for people. That's what it really means. That's the motivation to do what we do and persevere through obstacles is freedom for people. And we Americans treasure that. But so many parts of the world don't have the freedoms that we have. And we should want that for other people. And so just as Reagan said there's only one Berlin, we have to remind ourselves there's only one church. And it's not the denominations and, the, and the, what we call ourselves. There's only one church. And when he looks at Hampton Roads, I'm fully convinced that he says, my church of Hampton Roads, what's going on? What are you doing? My church in Hampton Roads. My church in Elizabeth City. You know, wherever you find yourself. So these huge barriers and walls between Christians are very visible. There are, there are denominational and even, quote, non-denominational structures, practices, and doctrines that divide us. Um, some walls are invisible, and, but they're still there. And the symptoms of that is the lack of unity that we have, the disassociation from each other, or the apathy we have, or our avoidance of one another our unwillingness to work together, even when we have common goals to reach, such as helping the homeless, you know, drug addicts, whatever goals we have in common, yet we're not coming together. And just like the German people, we are the family of God. And I feel like there are my brothers and sisters in Christ out there that because of these walls I'm separated from, that I need to have the privilege of being reunited with and the blessing of having them in my life because... They're my family, and we have these walls that, that have divided us. Whereas the Berlin Wall separated for decades, Christians have had walls and separations for centuries, for centuries. And so we can send messages to keep out. You know, unless you come over to my side and see everything eye to eye, I can't walk with you. And that's simply not true. There's a level of compromise that can come. And, you know, we have criticisms or we belittle one another or we write books against each other. I see that too. And so what that reveals is the hidden areas of our heart and our attitudes. So the Brandenburg Gate was closed and needed to open, and it was opened. And we have to allow, we have to open the gates to our lives and, and the freedom for people to come in and for us to go into their lives. Because to keep the gates closed, like we have been doing for centuries, is the same as saying, I don't allow the king of glory to come in to this place. Um, you know, that, that U.S. Marshall Plan about not being against anyone, but against hunger, poverty, desperation, and chaos, the, the church is against those things. We, are, we agree with the Marshall Plan. We're against those things as well. But as long as we stay divided, people will continue to suffer on the other side. Because, see, there are people who aren't coming in at the harvest that we wanted to see in Hampton Roads. I'm convinced it's because God wants to do a unifying work in Hampton Roads that will bring the harvest. When they see us united, then people will be reached that otherwise are not going to be reached to do business as usual. So we have to be united first, and that uniting is going to empower us to touch many lives for the gospel that we would not otherwise be able to do. So our walls don't just keep each other out at a safe and comfortable distance. They also keep the um, lost and hurting out as well. But see, we're too blind to that because we're so focused on our differences that we, re we don't see our common goals, the places of agreement, and, the, and what we want to do to help people. 
And a, a united church is a powerful force to be reckoned with. That's why the enemy keeps us divided, because he knows it. He knows that he would lose ground when we're united. And when we are, it sends a message to the unbelieving world that Christ cares about you. Um, and I love John 17, when Jesus prayed this prayer, because it's been in my heart for a long time. He says, after he prayed for his disciples, he then prayed, he said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that also that they also may be in us. What For what reason? So that the world may believe that you sent me. And we wonder why people don't believe in the gospel message. Because they see a divided front. So they don't believe our message. But when they see us come together, then it's for them to believe that the Father really sent the Son, Jesus. Which is just amazing to me. And he says, the glory which you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one. Just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity Again, he says, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. They will know the love of Christ by our love and our unity. But we kind of dance around that. And greater freedom will lead to an increase in standard of living in a community. Those outside of Christ are trapped by lots of oppression. And they see what we have that they don't have. They just don't know how to reach it. And so, they want a better way of life. And when we come together as a church, they're watching that. And it restores hope to a lot of people. When all they see is disunity in their workplace, or their neighbors, or their families. And they see a church, churches coming together. Then it gives them hope that there is a better way to live. That there is something to look forward to. And that maybe these people will love me. And now, just as Reagan was... Challenging Gorbachev, you know, is this? Are you all going to really do something? Or are you just going to be talking about it? See, we can talk about a feel-good unity message all the time, uh, and building bridges and having openness, but nothing changes because they could just be words and they could be empty unless we act. We have to put action into our words for people to believe. You know, and you know, Reagan also referred to the building up of armament. Remember the arms race that took place in between the nations? And he said, East and West do not mistrust each other because we are armed. We are armed because we mistrust each other. And our differences, he said, are not about weapons, but about liberty. I thought, man, that is so powerful. It's so true today. We, we just arm ourselves differently. Instead of with physical weapons, we arm ourselves with walls, with doctrines and practices or, or with our words. And we have fundamental differences. And if you really look deep behind them, it's about freedom. Our differences are about freedom and about liberty. So we can claim to be free men and women, yet we can still be kind of in bondage to our belief system that doesn't allow either ourselves or others to be as free as Christ intended for us to be so that we can enjoy him more fully and then enjoy even worshiping together or loving each other or free to stand shoulder to shoulder to go to battle together and then experience and share in the victories together. There's a lot at stake.
and uh, you know, Reagan said regarding the Soviet Union that it must make fundamental changes or it will become obsolete. And I believe the challenge is coming to Hampton Roads that unless we're willing to change, that our churches or ministries <coughs> can become obsolete, just ineffective. We can yes. we can hold down the fort until Jesus returns and have no fruit and have no new people coming to Christ. But we're missing out on the best that he has for us. And I don't want to be um, obsolete. So as long as we hold to our, our traditions and our mindsets with, this, with tenacity and nullify the Spirit of God who brings the new life and the new wine into our midst, we'll miss out on the grace of God that he has for the church. And it does take the grace of God. It, it can't just be, I'm determined to tear down a wall. I want to be a part of the solution. But I know it will take the grace of God because it's been centuries in the making. We have a lot of history here in Hampton Roads that we don't even understand. And we have to realize that. So God has great plans. And, uh, but we have to purpose, with purpose, tear down those walls. They're not going to happen by wishful thinking or talk. Um, we have to purpose to build those bridges and those relationships and those alliances to benefit the community, you know, just as the two of you have been facing. And um, I was flipping through my notebook, and just a few days ago, I discovered a journal entry that I'd totally forgotten. And it was there since April of 09. And I was flabbergasted because I'm like, wow, this really lines up with what I'm about to share. And I totally lost this journal entry and it was in my notebook. And uh, the Lord told me, write this. And he doesn't often tell me, write this. And he said to me, gates rusted shut for a very, very long time, now being opened by my spirit, says the Lord. Then gates will open in my cities and Hampton Roads will be called by a new name one day. A name I will give to it. And people will know Hampton Roads for new things. Not for tourism, but for the presence of my spirit. A place of refreshing, restoration, healing, and hope. A new era is being ushered into for this area. History has held this area in bondage and will no longer be in bondage, but instead a reminder of my steadfast love and power to change, transform, and renew an area of my choosing. Man did not choose Hampton Roads, not even the intercessors, but because I chose Hampton Roads and burdened them over the years to carry out my plans in the earth. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And so, as we're so busy trying to build our individual things, we have to, without tearing down walls, that's why we're not getting anywhere. We have to tear down the walls so that we can build the bridge. Because, see, that bridge that I showed you a picture of, that was in Berlin, and it was um, built in the 1700s. And during the war, they blew up their own bridge to keep the Soviet army from crossing the bridge and invading the other side of the city because it crossed the River Spree. And so this bridge is crucial to Berlin. And so what happened was that they started to rebuild it when the war ended. But then in 1961, the Berlin Wall started going up. You see, what happens in this natural is the same in the spirit. You can start to build a bridge, but as soon as the wall starts getting built, then progress is stopped. This progress stopped 
when they started to build that wall. And then they shut down the bridge, and only Westboro letters could cross over the bridge. So there was restriction on the bridge. And so then, when the Berlin Wall came down, and the gate was open to the traffic, what happened was then they started to rebuild and finish the, this beautiful bridge that is even more beautiful than what it was in the 1700s. And so the bridge opened up in time for their fifth anniversary of the wall coming down. So see how everything is linked together. The walls come down, the gates are open, and the bridge is built. And that's what happened in their history. And that's what's going to happen in, in our history. I think it's very exciting. And God has given the church the authority to tear down, to uproot, and to declare his word over places and situations. And I really believe that God gave incredible grace to Gorbachev to hear from an opposing ruler of another nation. When he heard that challenge go out, God gave grace to Gorbachev to respond to it. He gave him the grace. It took the grace of God for, for that country with their mindset in order to respond. And so we have to believe that God will give us the grace no matter how big the obstacles look. So challenges that will come from people who are walking in freedom, we can challenge those who are walking in bondage to tear down their walls. But it also takes great courage and humility to admit when you're not as free as your brothers and sisters around you. Or that we all have issues and mindsets that keep us from walking with other people. All of us do. You know, there was graffiti on the wall, the Berlin Wall that Reagan referred to, and it said, he pointed to it and it said, this wall will fall. And that was in 1989. And it did because beliefs become reality. And I believe that the walls are going to fall between Christians because it's the heart of the Father and Jesus prayed and surely God's going to answer the prayer of Jesus and that it will be accomplished by His Spirit and by His might. And you might not know what your role is in this at this point of history, but if you pray and ask God to give you His heart for the bigger picture of our world, of our community, and not just about your life, then he will. And to start praying over Hampton Roads um, in the area that you live in, you know, because things are happening in the natural. I believe, personally, the light rail is very key for Hampton Roads going through from Norfolk, Virginia Beach. I'm really excited about it. <coughs> I always have been, and I had no reason to, but I know it's a key link that for unity, for jobs, for prosperity, for people in Norfolk, Portsmouth, Virginia Beach, there's a lot at stake. So what happens in the natural to build up unity will also happen for the church. It goes hand in hand. So we should celebrate and pay attention to the things in the news and what's going on in the church community as well as in the natural because it's all linked together. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to end this with a declaration prayer over Hampton Roads. And so if you would like to just agree with me in prayer, and by doing so, by standing. And so we could just be in agreement. And this is my little alteration of the scriptures here. So, this is good. This is good. Because I believe that God gives the authority, and I believe that he gave me the vision to share it. And so I'm just being bold. So lift up your heads, O gates of Hampton Roads. 
Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors of Hampton Roads, that the King of glory may come in. And to the church of Hampton Roads, it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain of walls and divisions? For before the Lord you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. And just as the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the temple, the Lord will finish what he started in building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then others will know that the Lord of hosts has sent his son Jesus, and we will not despise the day of small things. We will be glad to see the plumb land in the hands of the Lord. And your eyes, Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth, will strengthen the hands and the hearts of those who pursue you. And bring near those who are both near and far from you by the blood of Christ, and he himself, Jesus, being our peace. Make both groups into one and break down the barrier of the dividing walls between us. Abolish all enmity in your body, Lord, with its ordinances and traditions, rules and regulations, so that in yourself you make the two into one new man, establishing peace and reconciling us to one body through the cross by putting to death this enmity. Be our Prince of Peace. For through you we both have access and one spirit to the Father, so that we are no longer strangers and aliens with each other or to you, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household being fitted together, growing as a holy temple and a dwelling place of God for your spirit. Churches of Hampton Roads, tear down your walls if you believe in freedom and liberty for all. If you seek peace and prosperity for your cities, open your gates, tear down your walls, build new bridges, and welcome the King of Glory to come in. Be determined to come out of historical bondage that has caused ancient hatreds between us because Christ has caused us all to freedom. Amen.